Hi guys, and welcome to the Figure It Outable podcast. I'm your host, Carly Visconto, and this is a space where we talk all things navigating life in your 20s, diving into the topics of health, wellness, career, faith, relationships, and so much more. No longer are the days where we have to act like we have it all figured out. In a world that likes to pretend, join me for your dose of reality, proving that you can live your happiest life while figuring it out at the same damn time. Hello and welcome back to another episode. I hope you guys are having a great week whenever you may be listening to this. Today's episode is one that I am so excited for and I have been since I booked this guest a few weeks back. Similar to my last guest, I discovered her on TikTok and it was like she was heaven sent. Melissa Romano is a holistic health coach, but she has so many certifications and various professional experience that make her so unbelievably qualified and knowledgeable. She's a self-proclaimed life student and research lover, constantly working on her craft and just leaning into new information. She started out as a certified personal trainer years ago and has since went on to become a corrective exercise specialist. She's gotten 200 hours of yoga teacher training, her 300-hour yoga psychology, 800-hour yoga therapy, and so much more. She has recently decided to go back to formal education and is studying neurophysiology, consciousness, and human potential. She also has her own business. She takes on her own clients. So to say she's impressive is a vast understatement. But her TikTok, oh my God, her TikTok offers so much insight. I quite literally fall into a rabbit hole every time I go on it. In today's episode, we're going to get a little bit specific. And Melissa and I are going to talk about the nervous system, specifically the autonomic nervous system and basically just how it affects every single thing that we do. The nervous system is something that really isn't talked about much in modern medicine, and it definitely isn't taught enough in school. But it is so, so instrumental in everything from our physical and our mental health, which as we will learn in this episode, is one. The mind and body just simply cannot be separated as much as we often try, and that missing piece of information is likely a big reason why you might not be achieving your personal goals. I've certainly been there, not just at a moment in time, but for years on end. I was stuck in the rat race, that is life. Just running myself into the ground with my exercise, my nutrition, and just my overall mentality towards the two. I thought I was living my healthiest life, and on paper, I was doing everything right. Yet, it turns out that my concept of healthy really wasn't as accurate as I once had thought. I was plagued with inflammation, terrible digestion, flushed skin, anxious thoughts, poor sleep, you name it. I was seeing doctor after doctor just trying so hard to get a diagnosis from my blood tests or answers from my GI doctor, 
but on the whole, my levels always came back pretty normal. There were always some outliers, but generally speaking, they always said, you're healthy, your levels look good, nothing's wrong. I didn't know it at the time, but I was really missing a big part of the puzzle. And it turns out it was an easier piece than I ever really thought. Cue the nervous system. I had been living with the dysregulated nervous system for years, constantly being in fight or flight mode with no awareness of what that was, no awareness of the harm that it caused or the tools to crawl out of it. It really wasn't until I learned how to properly care for my mind and body, but also how to care for them together as one that I have been able to see benefits in my overall health, in my digestion, my skin, my physique, honestly, and just my overall quality of life. I could talk about this for hours and down the line, I would be happy to make a separate episode if you guys are more interested in my personal journey of finding what works for me and the habits that I implemented into my everyday life that have helped me get to where I am. But today we are focusing on Melissa and all the knowledge that she has to offer. This conversation encompasses a whole host of topics ranging from exercise, nutrition, tips for how to identify and rectify a dysregulated nervous system. And honestly, it's just a candid conversation about the glorification of hustle culture and why it's okay to just entirely unsubscribe. I hope you enjoy and I also hope you listen with open ears and an open mind. I know back in the day I would have listened to this episode and honestly I would have scoffed at the content and just rooted it off as bullshit and got back to my hit circuit and that is exactly why it took me years to see a change and to feel a change. However, I will just end off this intro with a little disclaimer and just end by saying just because this was my experience does not mean it's going to be yours. What was not working for my body may be working perfectly fine for yours and you probably won't identify with all of the things we talk about in this episode and that is okay, but Either way, Melissa is an amazing resource with an unconventional philosophy, and I really just think this is a very refreshing conversation that needs to be heard. So without further ado, I'm very excited. Let's get into the episode. I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time. I know we had some technical difficulties, but we are up and running. So I thought we could start off by you just taking the opportunity to introduce yourself. Um, I know you have your own business and you have your own clients, but maybe if you could give us a bit of a background as to how you got here. Yeah, how I got there, we would have to spend maybe the next 10 years talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I went into personal training and um, I loved the aspect of kind of like changing the posture of the body. I wasn't as, you know, I didn't put a huge emphasis on like changing the size of body, but the way that we carried ourselves and moved through the world. So I went on to do um, a corrective exercise specialty and essentially my certifications and path flowed with the things that I learned and how I was readjusting my life. So it kind of goes on the arc of my life experiences. So then I went on to, okay, I realized working with these people in the field of personal training, so little of it had to do with diet and exercise. And I remember 
gyms were like, you have a really high retention rate. I was keeping clients for a really long time. And then like, well, it's, we get into so much more, like we talk, you know, and I'm like, that was something that I always loved. I was always fascinated by people and wanting to understand them and understand how their brains work. And, you know, as humans, we want to be seen and heard. So that was something that was being offered that wasn't aligned with, you know, the physical body. So I went on to study um, holistic lifestyle coaching and then I got into yoga and that took on a whole other world of itself. Cause I'm like, okay, this is a brand new way to look and move with the body and my fascination with the brain and how the brain works. I then went on to yoga therapy. So I have 300 hours of yoga therapy. I have 300 hours of yoga psychology. I have my 200 hour um, yoga teacher training and from there, I was just fascinated by this system and how it worked as a whole. So it was the concept of, you know, we, before I feel like we, I at least spoke about the mind body connection as if it were something to work towards. Like we need to practice the mind body connection. And it's like, no, 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 (laughs) they are connected. You can't separate them. So I, that's when I got into polyvagal theory and neurophysiology and understanding how our nervous system is like the primary component. So I switched to a bottom up approach. And for someone who struggled with anxiety and depression for many years and did a lot of talk therapy and the top down approach, I was like, this is life-changing and amazing. So kind of feeling like I was always up here in my head and (laughs) kind of existing out there, learning how to come back in and take that bottom up approach and actually live in my body. And I often say, you know, I, I had mastered survival mode. I had a a history of trauma and and I'm like, I mastered survival mode. And these are the things that gave me the tools to learn how to live. The nervous system in general, I feel like people always hear it, but they don't exactly know what it is and how integral it is into how our body functions and how our mind functions and how the two coexist. And it's also not something you really learn too much about in school. And it's also not something doctors talk about and teach you. And you always hear about how to eat right. And you always hear how to exercise and make your heart healthy. But nobody really tells you how to, you know, have your mind healthy. And when your mind is healthy, your body is healthy, because like you said, they are one. And I think a lot of times people try to live a healthy lifestyle, but nobody knows what healthy is. And I feel like that is such a misconception because you think you're doing something good for your body when in reality, you're running it into the ground. And personally, I know I did that for a really long time by Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned before, over-exercising, under-eating, under-sleeping, prioritizing getting a workout in after a long night um, instead of sleeping an extra hour or so, and then just living in this um, world of stress. And I try to keep pushing through and pushing through to live my healthiest lifestyle, whether that be drink a gallon of water a day, wake up at 4 a.m. to get a hit exercise in before I go to the office for 10 hours and then go out after and have drinks with clients, which, you know, all these things, I feel like part of it was me trying to grasp onto a sense of control and do things that were deemed good for my body. When in reality, it was really just having the opposite effect 
Um, so I think just generally speaking, a lot of people are living lives that they think are quote unquote healthy when in reality, it's probably not the best thing for them. And that's where I think your philosophy and your coaching is so different from what the mainstream message is. Yeah, it, no, it's definitely different. <laughs> I, I I laugh when I'm talking to people because, it, you know, anytime I'm working one-on-one, I'm like, if this, if what I, the tool that I gave you or the thing that we're talking about working on is not working, I have no interest. And I mean, zero interest in telling people to work harder. I firmly believe that that's not the problem. The problem is not that people are lazy or unmotivated or not working hard enough. And I certainly don't think that guilt and shame is going to help anything. If guilt and shame were going to solve any of our problems, none of us would have any because we're not, we're not sure. But it's also kind of to what you said about the medical system. It's, it's not something that is taught necessarily in even medical schools. It's a very um, historically, at least in the US, we have a very, um, our medical system kind of came from European culture. So, you know, two centuries ago, Descartes, the, the father of modern medicine, you know, went to the church because the church was who was in power and control. <laughs> you know, he said, I want to study the human body and I'm going to, I want to study medicine. And they essentially were like, okay, that's fine, but you cannot do anything with the mind, emotions, spirituality. That's our ball game. You can just stay in the physical realm. So that's essentially what our medicine was built off of. So it's always kind of been compartmentalized where that's not how the system works. Mm-hmm. We have this like, oh, it's all in your head. Nothing happens all in your head and nothing happens just in your body. So they're processed through both spaces, all incoming content, all everything that you're absorbing processes through the mind and the body together as one system. So it's it's like, yeah, of course, we have to start looking at it that way. Nothing is all is just in your head. If it's in your head, it's also in your body. Yeah, that's actually so interesting. I didn't know that, um, the history behind it, but that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, just to talk about your clients for a second, I just want to understand what type of people seek you out. Are you dealing with people who have a history of trauma, who deal with a lot of depression and anxiety? Um, do people come to you for eating disorders, all of the above? Do you have a specialty and what type of people are you interacting with? on a daily basis? Um, all of the above. <laughs> I certainly have, um, it, it's hard to say there's a niche because it is, it, it's all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's never just one thing. And the people that I work with, I would say, um, I, I, I don't even know how to explain it. They're, they're all very different and very similar. Um, Yes, a lot of trauma. Yes, some de- depression, anxiety. And sometimes it's also just the people who are like, okay, I've reached this point that I know what not to do, but I don't know what to do instead. Mm-hmm. So it's this like, where do I go from here kind of feeling? Like, I, I know that I like this, this, and this is not good for me, but what do I do? 
I'm curious, have you noticed any trends recently, like in the whole COVID environment, post-COVID environment? Obviously, I feel like the world today is a more stressful place than it was years ago. Are you noticing any persistent themes throughout um, majority of your clients? I think the most, the most persistent theme is, especially since COVID, is learning the delicate balance between needing community and needing solitude and genuinely needing both and how to find the places where we need to lean into other people and the places that we need to go within. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is kind of where people were forced to kind of to what you said earlier, that control, we want to have so much control and we had enough days that looked similar to each other. You know, people were like getting up and going to work and you had enough days that looked similar to the days before that you thought you had the illusion of control. It gave you this illusion of control. Well, the last two years have sent everyone. It was like the fact that you have no no control was banging on our doors. Like, (laughs) like, um, you can't ignore this. I'm not going to let you pretend that you have control anymore. You have none. So I think that is like, that the the loss of control and kind of like the grieving process of that and like wait a second I have no control I can't what am I going to do I think that's probably the 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 biggest umbrella and then that delicate balance of how do I figure this out then yeah absolutely um and over COVID was that when you started posting on TikTok I'm very curious because that's how I found you. So not only do you have your client base, but you also have this audience on that platform and that ability to communicate your message through that forum. So when did you start posting on TikTok and what made you start? So that's a great question. When COVID, at the height of COVID in early 2020, I logged into TikTok and then I found myself on there for five hours one day and I was like, um, <laughs> get away from this app. Delete, delete, <laughs> yeah. delete. Yeah, it was like, it was just, it was, it was also a very uh, trying time in my personal life. So it was one of those things where I was like, no, but I um, was talking to my best friend um, is big into marketing. And she was like, I'm telling you, I think you would really like it. Like, just get on there and start talking. Like, just get on there and do what you do, like talk how you talk every day and just to, to who you're talking to that day. So I, it would, I would say it was like maybe June of last year. I finally was like, okay, I'm just going to hop on there and start talking. And that's what I did. I was just, whatever was on my mind that day or like something. And I, I do find it common. I'll have the same conversation a couple of times in a week. Like we all are not as separate as we think we are. Like we're, many of us are going, most of us are going through very similar things at the same time. So, you know, if I had the same conversation two or three times, I'm like, I'm just going to hop on there and talk about that. (laughs) Because other people would need to hear it. And you knew that. And we did. And we all do. And half the time it's like, I'm telling everyone what I needed to hear. We appreciate it (laughs) for what I needed to hear. Have you found that um, certain topics 
get more engagement over others? And if so, what are those topics? Uh, Absolutely. You know, the vagus nerve, people are like, what? You know, I need to know more. What are you talking? Yeah, like completely mind blown how how we were never taught any of these things or, or wasn't discussed. And um, anything to do with my anti-diet culture approach. That's usually people are like, hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's also something people need to hear. Yes. They don't in want the world, to hear it. <laughs> yes. But in a world where I feel like diet talk is consistently shoved down our throats, it is so refreshing to hear somebody be like, actually, all of that is so counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And here's how you can you know, achieve results while being kind to your body and listening to your body and taking the polar opposite approach of just grace and just being patient with yourself. And nobody talks about that. And yes, I don't, I don't think people want to hear that at the same time while it's comforting. People are like, well, A, what the hell does that mean? And B, they immediately write it off as ineffective. They don't believe it. And I was in that camp for so long until I started really, really setting out and I made a commitment to myself to just give it a try. And I have been completely converted and that I will die in this camp. Oh, I- oh yeah. That's, I'm like, there, I, there are so many times where people, it's, in, you know, in the comment section of, of some videos, somebody will ask, you know, for, they'll ask me for clarification about something that I said and, and people do jump in and wanting to help, but it's usually like, well, you know, do you want that? Do you want to eat that thing more than you want your your goals? And I like swoop in, like that's diet culture. (laughs) People are like, oh, you're just violence daily. (laughs) (laughs) You're just here to set the record straight. (laughs) Like, I'm like, no, that's that, that, no, that ain't going to work. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely want to get into that. So like I said, I found you on TikTok and I personally resonated with, like you said, you, you mentioned the vagus nerve. So I was super drawn to the nervous system talk and then the diet culture. And in a way they, they do go hand in hand. They are super related. And when I was even just thinking about how I wanted to structure this, podcast episode. I'm like, I don't even know what the flow of the conversation is because everything is related to everything. I'm like, there is no like outline that we can follow because talking about point A can lead to talking about point Z because it all leads back to the same message. And so I guess we'll do our best at trying to stay on task. And I'm going to kind of try to separate the two between first talking about the nervous system and what the ANS is, because I think people, like we said, are not educated on it. So let's just bring it back to the basics and we'll get a little bit scientific, but then we can really try to provide some real examples so that we can put it in context for people as far as what it feels like when, you know, you're in a sympathetic dominant state versus a parasympathetic state and really just try to give concrete examples for people to help understand. And then we'll talk about the diet stuff a little bit later. Um, so first, can you just give a little bit of a rundown of what the, is it autonomic? Is that how you pronounce autonomic, it? Autonomic. Yeah. So the autonomic nervous system, it is what it sounds like. It's our automatic kind of reflexes. It happens without thinking. 
and the body does it without your help. So it's like anything that happens without you actively thinking about it, breathing, your heart beating, swallowing, your pupils dilating, sweating, and your digestive system, right? So we don't think about these things. The body does it on itself. That That's our autonomic nervous system. Historically, we've broken it down, like you said, in sympathetic and parasympathetic. So we have sympathetic, the fight or flight, and the parasympathetic, the rest and digest. However, in polyvagal theory, it's my favorite way to, to breaking it down and, you know, to, to skip kind of bypass a lot of the sciencey things. I talk about it like Goldilocks and the three little bears, right? So you have the too hot, the too cold and the just right. So the just right would be when we are in social engagement. That means our nervous system is present and regulated and like ready to, to take on anything. Our sympathetic nervous system is like when it's too hot. So the system is in fight or flight. Everything is starting to say, okay, you know, we need to like prepare the body. So all of our blood flow, all of our energy is directed away from things like our brain and our nervous system and into our limbs, right? So we can fight or flee. Then we have the too cold. That's the freeze. When the body is like literally frozen, I, I can't do anything. My brain is not thinking correctly. I'm like having trouble processing. This is where I find a lot of people who think that they are not motivated like I'm not motivated. I don't have willpower. And it's like, no, you actually are so motivated. There's so many things that you want to do that you have become overwhelmed and now you're frozen, stuck to your seat. So that's a state that you can be in for a long duration of time. When I, every time I've heard that, I would think it's like a few moments. I didn't realize that was, that could be a prolonged. Oh, 100%. Yes. So it's, I actually, it feel like that's the most heightened state. Like you, it's basically like you went past fight or flight and into freeze. And the way that it's described, even to come out of freeze, you do kind of have to pass back through the fight or flight to get back to that social engagement. The the other kind of interesting thing is it's not so, it's not like a light switch. It's more like a switchboard, right? So there are varying degrees of different pieces of this, of those stages and states that you can be in. So there are hybrid states, for example, for healthy competition, you, you know, you were a, a runner, healthy competition, you need a little bit of that social engagement. So you want to be regulated, but you need a little bit of that too hot. So you want a little bit of the sympathetic nervous system. So you have this hybrid state of regulated and sympathetic so that you can compete. And then you have the hybrid state of that dorsal vagal or that, you know, the lowered, the uh, parasympathetic. You want a little bit of that and social engagement when you want to, uh, you know, have intimacy or when you're sitting in meditation. So you do want that lowered inhibition. So there, there are hybrid states. It's, it's not like, again, you're not flipping a switch on and off. It's more like that switchboard where it's like, well, maybe this is a little bit up here and maybe this is a little bit down here. And then yes, sometimes they're like running full throttle in one or the other. 
you completely anticipated my next question. It was literally, do they work as a switch or (laughs) are you working in unison, but just one maybe a little bit more dominant? Are people born with a greater disposition to exist in one versus the other? Like, is it in our genetics or is that a behavior that's learned over time? Okay. So that is, is, that kind of brings us into the vagus nerve. That's a really great, great question. And yes, research does show that, um, our vagal tone. So basically the vagus nerve is it's Latin for wonder. So the wondering nerve, and it's more, it would more accurately be called the soul nerve. So it is the longest cranial nerve and it goes from your brain stem, you know, through your throat, your heart into most of your vital organs. So it's super important. And it is essentially the mediator. So it's like, it is the switchboard that's constantly mediating your, you know, increasing your energy and then resting your energy. And that, that's why we call it the vagal tone. So it's like the, the strength of the tone, the tone of the vagal nerve to move us in and out easily when needed. Right. And to find that, that sweet spot. Research has found that your vagal tone actually starts in the womb. So if you are born to a mother, you know, if you were in the womb of a mother who was struggling with anxiety and depression and a lower vagal tone, you are born with a lower vagal tone. The beautiful part of that is it is not, you know, it's not static. That is always changeable. Like any other muscle, you can strengthen it. So yes, it's, it's certainly down to being in the womb or where you can't do anything about it and, um, you know, life experiences. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Can you give us some signs of a dysregulated nervous system? So I actually, I made notes about this because I knew we were going to ask, and I have a tendency to talk in circles when I get to this part, because it's like, it's everything. (laughs) You can talk in circles. It's okay. yeah, Yeah. The physical, the physical symptoms, um, when you're asleep, right? You have difficulty falling or staying asleep, um, body aches, poor digestion, headaches, um, chest pain or breathlessness, um, elevated blood pressure, skin breakouts, fatigue, and poor immunity. So if you're getting like chronic infections, um, those are all physical signs of a distressed nervous system, emotional, the emotional side of things, anxiety, um, difficulty concentrating, restlessness, irritability, um, worries that feel irrational, like panic attacks, depression, um, feelings of isolation and hopelessness, um, addictive behaviors, and um, just overall feeling like overly emotional. If you, you know, if you leave things like afterwards you're like okay I feel like I really overreacted there but I didn't feel like it in the moment that is one of the greatest indicators for me when people are talking like later I was able to see that I wasn't it's like well yeah you were you were in a state where you're you didn't have access to your logic or reasoning because of your nervous system it's so crazy hearing that list of things because headaches you can separate them all and you can then create another list of 100 other things that could be causing it. 
And I feel like so many times a dysregulated nervous system goes undiagnosed, A, because people just aren't aware and doctors also are not going to tell you that's not going to be your, um, your, why am I blanking on the word? Diagnosis. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, brain. Your diagnosis being like, you have a dysregulated nervous system. But for so long, I dealt with so many of those factors. And I pretty much tried to see every doctor under the sun. I saw a GI doctor. I got my hormone levels checked. And there were some indicators, but on the whole, the response was you're healthy. And I am like, I consider myself a very healthy person. Um, I'm very disciplined. If there is something that needs to be done, I'm capable of getting it done. So I couldn't understand why I couldn't get my health in check. Because like I said, I was on paper, I was doing everything right. I was getting up at 4.30 before work to do a high intensity workout. And then I was, you know, going to work and I was eating a quote unquote clean diet. I ate majority fruits and vegetables. I cut out gluten and dairy. I was having coffee on an empty stomach, but I, I was, you know, I wasn't eating that many calories over the day. Um, and I was trying to get eight hours of sleep though. I would be waking up most nights, um, just tossing and turning. Sometimes it would be because I had phones ringing in my head and people shouting across the room because I was a stock trader and that's just the environment that I was in, but I was always buzzing. And, Again, on paper, I was doing everything right, but so I could not understand why I was experiencing all of these digestive issues to the point where I, I couldn't eat a meal without looking six months pregnant. And mm-hmm. I could tell I was holding so much inflammation in my stomach. Like I would look at, in the mirror and just be like, why do I look like this? Like I work out seven days a week, I was running, but I, what I was, I was running myself into the ground. That was the only thing that I was really doing. And so over the pandemic, I think it was a great um, opportunity to just take a pause. And I found this page in my journal the other day and it was, you know, things that I'm going to do to help make my body less inflamed. And at the time I had no um, knowledge about the nervous system. I did not make any association. All I knew was I wanted to take the... Um, you know, inflammatory things out of my life. So I started limiting caffeine. I started limiting um, alcohol. I switched to low intensity exercising. So I, I just went on long walks. I found Pilates, which I'm now absolutely obsessed with. I've been teaching classes on the beach this summer. Um, and just started making these little life changes. I even said I'm going to do deep breathing on my walks to work in the morning. Just taking the time to control what I can control in the environment that I can control. Because at work, obviously, I, I really can't control how that environment makes me feel. It was it was always very anxious. Um, after work, I had a lot of social engagements that I I'm not like a super social person. Like I'm an extroverted introvert, I would say definitely get my energy back from a long day by being by myself and not talking. So if I had engagements after work, I would stress them all day and really dread them. Um, so this it was like a constant disalignment between what I know I needed and what I actually needed to do for my 
professional and personal obligations. Um, so again, COVID put that all on halt too. So once I started um, implementing these self-care practices and I started to realize the changes that were taking place physically, I was absolutely mind blown. And I think I found your page in the midst of this, which is why it was like that aha moment that I wasn't crazy, that there was actual science behind it. Mm -hmm. And that's when the nervous system kind of all came into um, the picture. And so this is just a message that I seriously would love to just scream from the mountaintops and one that I wish I could just shake myself by the shoulders years ago and just say, you don't have to live like this. Life does not have to be this consistent rat race. And sometimes the answer is doing less. Mm -hmm. And again, that's not one people want to hear. No. But you need, it's all about making your body feel safe. And I still remind myself, my body every day, you are safe. I'm taking care of you. I know I neglected you for years. But, you know, from now on, I got you. It's, oh, that's beautiful. I, to anyone that is, that is kind of burning the wick at both ends, like I'm doing all of the things and I'm not feeling how I thought that I would. And to the people who are thinking, if I could just be like that, you know what I mean? If I could just overwork myself or push myself farther. You know, it, it, I feel like there's two camps of people. It's like people who are already doing it and people who think that that's what they should be doing. <laughs> like, yeah. no, it's like, no. And, you know, when you're talking about high intensity exercise and you're talking about, you know, pushing ourselves in this whole culture of like grind, 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 that is the sympathetic nervous system. So think about high intensity exercise, what happens, right? blood flow is directed into your bigger muscle groups. Your breathing becomes shallow. Your pupils become dilated. Your cell, right? It's that is sympathetic dominant. So it's like, I am stressed and I want to release stress. So I'm going to stress myself. And it's like a hundred, a hundred percent. How's that working out for you? Right. <laughs> and honestly, like one of your videos, you always preach Every individual is different. Every body is different. So for some people who are already in, mm -hmm. you know, a fine state and they have their, um, their balance in check and they're existing and things are going great for them, that's awesome. That wasn't me. So some people can handle that high intensity mm -hmm. exercise and they love it. But in today's day and age, I'm going to venture to say that majority of people don't fall into that category. And especially like you said, it's the grind culture. And I think now more than ever, we glamorize this grind culture. And we're, we are always taught to work more, to party more, to sleep less, to like, you know, it's, it's considered weak if mm -hmm. you take a break or you practice self-care. Um, and that is exhausting. And I feel like the sooner that you learn that you can tap out, you can unsubscribe and <laughs> move on living your life. Like it's a beautiful thing, but it's just exhausting sometimes to look around and see how we're taught to live our lives and how, you know, we we're never supposed to rest and we always feel like we need to do more and be on the go. I, I lived, I lived it. And 
<laughs> it's interesting because, you know, I, the reason why I got into, you know, personal training and physical fitness was to feel better. I wanted to feel better. I had horrific back problems and, you know, went to specialists and, and wasn't getting a lot of help. And I was like, okay, I want to like reclaim my power. I want to take it into my own hands and, and do a little bit of this for myself. Well, and then I swung the pendulum clear to the other side. Right. So it was like, I reached a point where I, you know, hit the goals that I, that I wanted to, I could, you know, I ran a half marathon in the time that I wanted to run it in. I could lift the amount of weight that I wanted to, to lift. I could do the fancy yoga poses, you know, the, that I would post on Instagram and I ate, you know, I counted macros and I ate clean and I did all of the things that our, you know, the powers that be in this country say, like, this is the epitome of doing it. And I got to this point where I was like, well, I, I don't feel better. You know, I, I could look in the mirror and see that my body looked a certain way, but I was like stiff and it was hard to get out of bed in the morning. And I forced myself and I didn't sleep well. And I still experienced anxiety and depression. And then lo and behold, I landed in the hospital for four days with swollen intestines. And that colitis was the diagnosis, which by the way, I don't accept that as a diagnosis because all you're doing is telling me that my intestines are swollen. It's not a diagnosis. (laughs) Anything with itis, you're just telling me that that part is swollen. So it's like, uh, is that a diagnosis? (laughs) Tell me why. (laughs) Um, you know, in, in, like I said earlier, all my certifications and like the change of my business usually goes with like what I learned and happened in my life at that time. So four days in the hospital and left with no answers, like, Oh, do an elimination diet, you know, do a bland diet at eight months of testing gallbladder studies and GI specialist, and just like an insane amount of information and not one person had ever suggested it's your nervous system. It's, you know, psychosomatic. There's so much of it that had to do with, I was, I was doing, I was checking boxes, not taking care of myself. Like I was doing the things that other people said, this is how you do it. This is the framework. This is what it's supposed to look like. And it, it just, it's insane to even think about now because I'm like, oh my gosh, it, even if people knew me or like knew my <laughs> business at that time, like that hustle was actually in my tagline. Like you want, you hustle, you succeed was one of my original, like way back in 2010, like my, you know, and then it shifted to like better, happier, healthier. And now I'm like, fuck everything. Just <laughs> to yourself. Like, Amen. Like- That's all it comes down to. <laughs> If nothing else, it it. it was. So like after, you know, after eight months of testing, I'm like, okay, this is where it gets super interesting because your digestive system, your gut is a part of the nervous system. So it's your enteric nervous system. Okay. I've never heard that term before. Enteric. Enteric. So E E. N-T-E-R-I-C. You put me on the spot there. (laughs) The enteric nervous system. So the gut is a part of the nervous system and it is bi-directional, meaning 
where every other part of the body, your brain is saying like, all right, arms do this, you know, all right, legs do this, like, all right, do this. The gut is bi-directional. So it is talking back to the brain. Okay. Okay. So it's like, that means that the messages are coming two ways, which is like your cranial nerves, the vagus nerve, right? Sensory afferent nerves, meaning they scan the body and send messages back to the brain. So the, this, I realized at that time I was eating all of the things that I was, you know, quote unquote, supposed to eat. (laughs) And I was doing what I thought was the best things to do. But here's what was happening. Most of the time I was eating in the car on the way somewhere. I was eating standing in the gym while training people because that's how I was cramming the time. I was eating in spaces with people who stressed me out. I was a, I, I have a little bit of social anxiety. So, you know, when I would go into to, to social situations, I'm like, I'm just going to keep drinking. <laughs> I think we all can relate to that too. And, you know, coffee, I start, my gosh, I used to start work. My first session started at 5, 15 AM. So I was just like caffeine and, you know, all of the things. But I, when I realized after that, you know, after spending four days in the hospital and having significant pain, like digestive pain, and I wouldn't say that my digestive system was um, felt great prior to that, but I was like, doesn't matter. <laughs> I met the scale says this and I can do this, <laughs> <laughs> but I had a lot of inflammation. I had a lot of joint pain, even though I was doing all of the right things. So once I learned this and it, it was one of those things where I, you know, I, my, the people that I've met along the way, that I just happened to, and, and I think that this is what happens the moment that you open your mind to like, okay, this isn't working. This is, I understand that this isn't working. Like I need to do something else. And whether it is TikTok, whether it is somebody you run into on the street, whether it is, it, you know, you just happen to come across something, trust that. Because once you open your mind to like, this isn't working, what do I need to do? The people will be put in front of you. Yeah. And that is essentially what happened. You know, I had a a homeopathic doctor. He was one of my first teachers in this, this realm of, of work. And he was like, handed me a notebook and he said, I want you to write down everything you consume. And I'm like, dude, I've been doing that. (laughs) I got logs on logs on logs. Like 10 years of my fitness pal to show you, you know, or like, even when I did elimination diets and things like, I'm like, I got food logs. What are you talking about? And he's like, I want you to write down everything you consume, what you're watching, what you're reading, who you're talking to, how you're feeling, like what, what is it? What are the people, who are the people that you're sitting at a table with when you're eating this thing that you felt sick after eating it? What's the environment, right? Like everything you consume. I'm like, I can't do that. And he was like, yeah, you can. (laughs) So, So for two weeks, I, I wrote down, not just what I, you know, ate and drank. I wrote down like like I said, the, what I was watching and who I was talking to and the kind of conversations that I was having. And I wrote down how I was feeling. I did not have a strong emotional vocabulary back then, but I did wrote, I, I wrote down things that were like, I knew that I felt like 
you know, anxious, I could use words like that. So it was like, I felt, you know, off or I felt, you know, worried or I felt this. So I wrote all of those things down. And once I looked at it like that, I was like, well, shit, (laughs) I am stressed. Now you have a diagnosis. Now. Yeah. It's like, now, now I had a diagnosis. Cause I mean, I, it was like down to the people that I was around. I'm like, why am I even doing this? Like, why am I, I, if I am feeling this way, you know, I also ate very quickly. Yes. So from there, I, you know, I was like, what, what do, of course our brains are like, what diet do I need to do? What, what are the foods that I need to eat? What do I, and the changes that I made at that time were, I had to sit down at a table (laughs) to eat. Most of the time, obviously it's, we have to be realistic, but I sat down at a table and, um, I would even get as like fancy as like lighting the candles that I liked. I just started kind of treating like dating myself essentially. So I had to sit down, I had to chew my food until it was liquefied and I did deep belly breathing. So I did 10, like seven to 10 deep belly breaths before I ate. And when I say within like weeks, the pain was gone after months, like months. And I tried medications and I tried different diets and I tried different therapies. All I did was take deep breaths before eating. I sat down at a table with no, like no distractions, no TV, no like high energy conversations, literally just sat down at a table and chewed my food crazy concept right like and and since then and that was in 2012 and in the 10 years since then and everything that I've learned and everything that I've been through I have realized that the majority of I'm talking 99 percent of the time we think that there is some complex solution because these are complex problems And 99% of the time it has come down to the most basic skills and the sim and I'm saying this in a way that is frustrating. Like you're, you're like, I could have done that the whole time. Like Sally Fields and Mrs. Doubtfire, like the whole time. time? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, though, honestly, I mean, yeah, this makes, I mean, that even makes personal sense because working on a trading floor for years, we eat at our desks. You know, we have to run to the bathroom. You don't get time off of the desk. So obviously you're eating distracted, but you're also eating in an anxious state just because it's a very high energy environment. So for me, majority of my meals were consumed in that manner. And when I did eat dinner at home, I would be distracted and So I like, this is one of my questions. I like to eat while watching YouTube. If I'm not eating, sitting down at a dinner table with those I love, sharing good conversation, I like to eat alone and I'm fine with no distractions, but my preference would be to put on a YouTube video and just to check out and still eat slowly and mindfully. Do you think that has the same effect on digestion than eating in a stressful, rushed environment? I think that you 
know that better than me. Like if you feel good while you're doing it, I I'm, there's no, it's not, there's no rules. It's like, if you are sitting down and you're watching YouTube, but you know that you are still engaging with your food, then you're good. Like I, the biggest part is we need to trust our own self. You, you know, the difference it's not to say like, Oh my God, I can't read anything or watch anything or do anything while I'm eating. It's to say, especially if you, if you start the journey with like, you know, the the journey of eating (laughs) when you sit down, if you start by bringing your system back into that like social engagement state that we talked about, like a regulated state, because I mean, think about it. If, if in the sympathetic dominance, our energy and our blood flow and everything is being directed away from the nervous system. And then we sit down to eat like that, or I'm sorry, directed away from the digestive system. Mm -hmm. And then we sit down to eat like that. Our food is not getting properly digested. It literally can't, the the digestive system is not even online. It's like, it's your body is literally saying, don't, you know, I'm basic. It's essentially saying I'm being chased by a bear don't digest this because I can't shit myself while I'm running from this bear. (laughs) So it's like, don't digest your food. So if you, if you take the time to sit down and, you know, if you do, you use the word checking out and it's like, are you really checking out or are you just enjoying something while you're eating? The latter. Right. So it's like, that's perfectly fine. And okay. you, know, you can be playing music and you can be having, you know, a good conversation, like a soulful conversation is going to nourish your food even more than, you know, sitting there by yourself, just staring at me. Yes. We get, we, again, we swing the pendulum. It's like, okay, I'm going to sit down and like, basically be hyper vigilant about every bite of food. And it's like, no, 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 not that either. Like, yes, that's not what we're saying. Yes. Just, just take your time. You know, intention is a lot and intention. It means a lot to the nervous system. So it's essentially like that sitting down and saying, I am safe. Like I am safe. I'm safe to safe to eat this food. And, And my, if there are any emotional eaters, listening to this <laughs> it's like i congratulations if you are an emotional eater because you one recognize that a need needs to be met and you are taking action on it like congratulations you're a step ahead of most people who are not having their needs met and don't even know it so it's like at least at least we've made it that far if we could just put the if, apply these practices. Like I am in a heightened emotional state and I sit down and I say, I'm going to take a couple of deep belly breaths to just regulate my system. And then I'm going to chew this food thoroughly. Right. It magic happens because those are the states, especially when it's like we've assigned in our culture, a moral value to food. So when we believe that something is bad, quote unquote, bad, those are the things that we actually, it's like this shit that we look forward to the most and we eat it the quickest and we don't pay attention to it and we don't even enjoy it. It doesn't make any sense. It's Mm -hmm. like, get the damn cake and sit down at the table and take your time and enjoy it. Yeah. Well, that goes along with the whole guilt and shame, like you said, because the food is labeled as bad. And that was something I wanted to ask next because we, you know, we obviously touched on 
the external environment, but I think we're missing the huge piece of the internal environment. And your one video that I know did very well was how your mood about your food affects digestion. And if there are people out there that are anxious about maybe not even particular food in general, just about eating, period, worried and overthinking the macros, Mm -hmm. um, what they're putting into their mouth, stressing every single thing Mm -hmm. that they put in their body, like that's not healthy. And your body picks up on those stressors Mm -hmm. and in turn will then have trouble digesting the food. And that's not great either. How, how you feel about your food affects your metabolism. A, a happy donut is better than a sad salad. Yeah. How, how we feel about the food that we're about to eat affects how we metabolize that food. I mean, there are, we talk about metabolism in this way that makes me want to pull my hair out, but it's like, you know, speed up your metabolism by doing this thing. There are thousands of factors that go into your metabolic rate and how you feel about your food is one of them. The others are things like disease processes, um, you know, autoimmune diseases and type two diabetes. These things affect how we metabolize our food. They affect the rate that with which we metabolize our food, um, different genes affect how we metabolize our food and not in the way that we look at genes to say like, Oh, I, I do it exactly like my mom or dad genes are not that again, it's not the light switch effect. It's the switchboard. So like there are different foods that can turn on different genes and there are different foods that can turn off different genes. So these things are always in flux and always changing. So that can change how we metabolize our food. But yeah, my, my very favorite one is how we think and feel about our food changes how we metabolize it. So digestion actually starts with the chewing. Digestion actually starts with the first thought of food. You start preparing your digestive system at that point, mentally and emotionally. Yeah. The the first physical part that starts your digestive process is chewing. So your, the chewing process actually mixes with the di- your own digestive enzymes. So in your saliva, it mixes with the food that you're chewing and starts to send those messages to the body, right? To say like, okay, it knows exactly what it wants to do with it. If you take the time. So you're chewing and those enzymes are like sending messages to the digestive system. Like, Hey, keep this, Hey, eliminate that. Right assimilate this part, eliminate this part. And it just flows through the system really nicely. That, that energy and intention with which we eat will turn that on and off. So if you're sitting there feeling really bad or guilty about the thing that you're eating and you know, you're feeling, or you're eating this thing because you think it's healthy. Like I'm forcing myself. I I mean, I've seen in her, I don't even want to like trigger warning, the things that people have done with disordered eating, but it is actually changing how your body is going to process that food. So intention is everything taking a few minutes before you eat, regardless. Like I tell people all the time, I eat cheese fries with the same respect that I eat a kale salad. Like they, they don't get moral differences for me. I don't change what I'm doing. I'm like, 
thankful for it all the same. You know, I take a moment of contemplation before I eat it and I enjoy both of them equally with the same amount of reverence. And once you do that also, you probably, there's a time when you want your kale salad and then there's a time where you want your cheese fries. And exactly. I feel like that's the beauty of not having food labels in addition to digestion. But then you just learn to listen to your body's regular hunger cues and intuitively what it's craving. And it's not going to let you have cheese fries and less nutrient-dense foods for every single meal of the day. Like, it's amazing what happens if you just um, give your body what it's craving and it will know how to digest that food, whether you think that you are intolerant to it or not. It will know what to do with it. The symptoms that I used to get from eating things like that, I rarely ever get. Like I rarely ever get them anywhere. When I was eating them in a way that was like, uh, you know how we have uh, cheat meal days and things like that. I was so sick, so sick. I just literally just had cheese fries two days to Sunday. I had them Friday night. (laughs) That's why I thought of them. And no, no symptoms. There was nothing after eating them. You know, I obviously had others had some steak and other things too, but I had no symptoms, no like, oh, I feel terrible. I feel blue. No, nothing. That's amazing. I also think this goes along with like, Well, it just goes to show the importance of being raised in a household that has a a healthy view on food. And I think a lot of people are probably a little screwed up from how they, I mean, luckily I was raised in a very healthy household. I had ice cream every single night for dessert. My mom made, you know, healthy dinners and then we had not so healthy dinners and it was all the same. But I know a lot of friends and you know, other people who aren't as fortunate to say the same. And they grew up in a household that felt restrictive, felt, you know, very good food versus bad food. And that stays with you. And then I think when you get older and you're surrounded by diet diet culture and some people subscribe to that diet culture and others don't, it's very difficult to be around friends or in living situations, roommates, coworkers, when you're eating in an environment that not everybody has the same Um, inner peace with food freedom and I have been that person that is you know adding to that chaos and bringing the salad every day and looking super restrictive and having a super restrictive mindset and luckily I'm getting through that and I am now on the other side to just not discriminate against food and eating what I want I still eat very healthy just because that's how my body thrives and that's genuinely what I crave just because Mm -hmm. I've eaten this way for so long. Um, It doesn't feel restrictive. It feels nourishing to me. But I recognize that it's not so easy in this world to just block out the noise and listen to your body when you're being constantly bombarded by other people in your personal life, things on social media, people in the health and fitness space that are promoting these messages that are just not healthy whatsoever. It's so damn confusing to get good information these days. And so I really feel for people that don't have the knowledge to make informed decisions for themselves and also just live peacefully, um, you know, with their decisions on food and all all things lifestyle. 
I think that there is an undieting process that has to happen. And that's a big, so I do, I work one-on-one with people and then I also have a group coaching. So it's like an eight module course. And a huge part of that is undieting and it's learning how, because like you said, it stays with you from childhood and more than just, you know, things as simple as, oh, I have to save the sweet thing for after dinner. And I, the clean plate club, a lot of people were raised in that. Like you have to finish your food before you get to the dessert. So we're overeating to get to the thing that we want. And we Mm -hmm. still do that as adults. We still, you know, treat children like dogs. Like, do you want to go get some ice cream if you do this thing? Right. (laughs) Like, Like, so there has to be an undieting process. And not only that, there are people, most people when, and I've asked this question a lot over the, you know, decade plus, how many diets have you been on? You know, if it has, is it one to three, is it five? Most adults in our culture have been on 10 plus diets in their lifetime. You don't forget the rules of the previous diet. Even if you're focusing on one, right. (laughs) You're focusing on, oh, this is the new diet. You don't, your brain is still like, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule. So there is a process of like decoding the bullshit it, because most of them, you know, if you've done 10 plus diets, I guarantee you, most of them are in contradiction to each other. For sure. So you're For sitting sure. down, like, I don't know what to eat. I don't know when to eat it. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I mean, you could think of something wrong with every single approach and yes they're all going to contradict one another when in reality the best approach is just balance (laughs) a little bit of everything eat when you're hungry stop when you're full to listen to yourself yes before i let you go i wanted to leave the listeners with some actionable takeaways so I know we talked about how a large portion of society is living in that sympathetic overdrive and how the vagus nerve is a great tool to help bring us out of that state and into the parasympathetic rest and digest mode. Um, Can you leave us with some tips and tricks for how to stimulate that vagus nerve so that if someone is maybe experiencing overwhelming stress in a given moment, they can have something in their back pocket to help. Um, Acute cold exposure is a fan favorite. Like people love the ice pack on the chest, you know. I just told my mom about that one yesterday. Um, People people love that. And even like putting your hands under cold water or your face in cold water. Um, And my favorite is the uh, basic exercise. You clasp your hands behind your head and holding everything straightforward. All All you do is take your eyes to the right hold for 30 to 60 seconds, come back to the center, take your eyes to the left, hold for 30 to 60 seconds, come back to the center. Um, It is, you can do it lying down, sitting up, standing up, practice it the first couple of times lying down. Um, That is, that's one of my favorites. You honestly could just take your eyes back and forth quickly and you will start to notice the system coming down. and a vu breath. That's it's like so you inhale in your nose and vu like a foghorn all the way through that exhale. Vu, 
okay. run out. So, and gargling. So the, those are my favorite, like quick go-tos. Here is the thing though. It's like training for anything else. The, to truly tone the vagus nerve, it's not, I mean, it is about using the tools in the moments, but it's about training it all the time. Mm-hmm. So we want to use it in the moments that we really need it, but we also want to use it in the moments in between. It, it would be like, oh, if I wanted to run a 5k, I wouldn't just go apply the things that I know in the race, right? <laughs> I would right. be doing some like things in between. I would be running in between the race and, and training. So look at it that way. If, if the acute cold exposure is the thing that feels really good to you, then start practicing like 10 to 30 seconds of cold water at the end of every shower. You know, if the breath feels good to you or the hands behind the head, eyes, practice it every time you go to the bathroom. So you said this works like a muscle. So the more that you use it, obviously the stronger it becomes. So then will the vagus nerve be, I don't know if this is the right word, but more engaged on a more normal basis the more that you practice it? Or will you still have to take these active initiatives to stimulate it in order for it to be? No, you'll, you will get to a point where you have a, like a, a wider range of resiliency we'll say it like that. So it's like, as the, the tone of the vagus nerves gets stronger, then as opposed to you, you know, shooting way up high into that fight, flight, freeze, or, you know what I mean? Or way down low, you get a wider range of resiliency. So essentially the vagus nerve brings it back much quicker. And it's like, I'm, we're not going to go all the way up, all the way down. We're going to like that flow you, it still turns on and, you know, flows as it needs to, but it's going, the elasticity of it, like brings it in much quicker. So you have a a faster rebound rate and you have a bigger window, a bigger range of resiliency. So it's like, you will get to the point where, you know, it's, it doesn't run as high. The system doesn't, it's not like full throttle gas pedal, the, the brake, the vagus nerve is like the brake, right? It's like, I'm going to gently apply the brake here because I feel you going up a little too high, you know, and it's like, so yeah, you will get to the point where, you know, I, I don't have to spend parts of my day, like specifically working on my vagus nerve anymore. It's like, Hey, we're buddies now. I know what to do here. (laughs) Yes. You're already acquainted. Yeah. All right. Well, Thank you so, so much. I'm very excited for people to hear this episode, especially my mom. I was like, mom, you're going to really, really like this one. <laughs> um, but I really hope that people can you know, take some valuable tips away from this episode. And if they're not ready to make that and implement it into their own lives, at least just to start thinking about what health really means to them. And maybe it doesn't mean, you know, making yourself do this or eat this or exercise that way, but instead really taking the time to check in with your body and giving it what it needs mm-hmm. rather than what you think, what you think it needs. Cause usually what you think it needs, it's <laughs> quite yeah. the opposite. Yeah. That's what the world's been telling you it needed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I do think it'll be super helpful and I really appreciate your time. It was great getting me. to chat with you. Yeah.